Beautiful humans, we're back with another episode of Amplify What You Love. It's always a blessing to be alive another day, to get to broadcast and get to share amazing people with y'all. So I'm actually going to start off today's episode with a Joe Rogan quote. He's like the top podcaster, whether you agree with him or hate him or love him, he, he's doing something right. So check this out. The beautiful thing about podcasting is it's just talking. It can be funny or it can be terrifying. It can be sweet. It can be obnoxious. It almost has no definitive form. In that sense, it's one of the best ways to explore an idea and certainly much less limiting than trying to express the same idea in stand-up comedy. For some ideas, stand-up is best, but it's really, really nice to have podcasts as well. Couldn't agree with Joe more. So on today's episode, I have brought on a really, a really amazing writer, a really amazing strategist when it comes to growing your podcast. And I'm sitting down with Jeremy Enns today, CEO and lead strategist at Podcast Marketing Academy. We're going to uncover proven strategies for accelerating the growth of your podcast and love the process at the same time. So let's get in to this conversation with Jeremy. And here we are. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks so much for making time, man. Yeah, Kaylee, thank you so much for having me on. So let's just jump into the juice. That's my favorite way. What do you think most people get wrong about starting a podcast? Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the first the first thing, the, the big thing is that I think people think a podcast is going to do one thing for them when that's really no longer what podcasting is great for. And so uh, namely that thing would be, you know, building an audience. And I think that probably you've seen in being in podcasting for a while, and I've certainly seen being in podcasting since 2015, that, you know, there used to be a lot of organic discovery. People are, you know, love to talk about this podcast discoverability problem, which wasn't really always so much of a problem when there weren't that many shows. Maybe there was like three shows in a niche. And, you know, if anybody's searching for that, they kind of had three options. And if you were one of them, it was pretty easy to get a pretty large share of the, the list. Listeners. And that's just not the case anymore. So I would say that that's really the, the biggest thing that you need to get your head around when it, it comes into podcasting is that like, if your main problem with your business or your creative platform or whatever you're looking to build is discoverability, podcasting is, is actually probably not the most effective tool to be using for that. And that's not to say that it doesn't play a very important role in your business or your creative platform as a whole in other ways, but that from a pure discoverability standpoint, podcasting is, is almost going to do nothing for you. And so I think going in with that expectation is, is a really helpful mindset shift when it comes to, you know, actually um, creating a show that you feel good about creating that gets the results that you're hoping for. And you're not kind of really disappointed right off the bat. Absolutely. So for those listening, if you're thinking, oh, I need more leads, I need more business, I should start a podcast, it, you, you may already be starting it for the wrong reason. So what is a podcast actually best at achieving for someone? 
Yeah, I've started to think about it more like this like bucket that people go into. So you're getting this attention elsewhere and you're kind of like pouring them into the podcast and you know, not all of the attention that you get anywhere on the internet or in person or anything like that is going to go into that podcasting bucket. But this is just like a great place for you, them to like build up uh, a sense of affinity with you kind of uh, you're able to nurture them, build that sense of trust. And I've talked to a lot of my students, there was one student in particular, he had somehow, I, I suppose, through anecdotal like surveys and evidence when people signed up to his program, uh, he discovered that on average, the average customer of her, his listened to 38 podcast episodes. And I was like, wow, that's a very interesting number. And so if you think about that, if he releases a weekly show, which I, th I think he did, that's more than six months of getting podcast episodes from him. At some point, you know, they it might have taken a previous six months for them to even like get to the podcast after they discovered him. And so I think that that's a really helpful way to think about the role of a podcast. And possibly, like I know a lot of people and my clients and students, like they, if they do kind of these more uh, qualitative anecdotal surveys of people who end up buying uh, from them or signing up to their programs, a lot of times, like I've had some clients who say 80% of people who sign up to work with them have listened to the podcast at some point, even if they didn't discover them through the podcast. And so I think like this is where podcasting really shines is turning this like casual attention. I think especially if you are selling or are looking to sell like a high ticket product or service and being able to, you know, it's no, most people aren't like coming across a Facebook ad and immediately making a thousand dollar buying decision right then and there or yeah, $5,000, $10,000, whatever it is. And so I think for those types of products, a podcast is really like a crucial part of that whole kind of marketing uh, funnel or flywheel or, or however you choose to view it, where, it, you know, you're getting their attention somewhere and then you're just giving them this place where they can kind of get to know you more, get to understand how you think they're like on this, you know, this feed that they get a new episode every week and they kind of get to know um, more about you and can you can kind of reliably deliver them content and, and stuff through through the podcast. And over time eventually they reach some tipping point where like the time is right they're in, in the right place maybe you've like helped them get up to the point where they're actually now a good fit for your product or service and now is the time you're like the first person you're top of mind they think about you every week they spend an hour with you or or more a week listening to the podcast uh and your other content as well and now it's like a really easy sell when when the timing kind of works out and so i think that that's really where where podcasting uh really shines unlike a lot of other platforms I love that. So what I'm getting from that is this idea of the customer journey or or an audience journey. And mm -hmm. it used to feel really vague to me hearing that this idea of like, there's cold, there's warm, there's hot, right? And so what you're saying, if I'm getting it right, is that podcasting is really great for warming people up to you for building trust for building that credibility so that by the time they are in a position to make a purchasing, uh, a big purchase or, or that decision, they already know you, they already trust you, they like you and they want to hang out with you. Am I, am I getting that right? Yeah, that's, that's 100% right. And I think there's even like some different nuance that you can add to the customer journey of that, that a podcast can play a role in. And you can do this through, you know, blogs or newsletters or, or YouTube as well. But podcasting is, is nice because of its nuance and because it has that kind of feed nature to it where it's just getting automatically once they subscribe it's getting delivered to their feed and they're going to see that every week if they're they're paying attention but you can look at that like you know cold warm hot kind of leads but you can also look at like people are coming in at, at a variety of different points so like if I have a course, for example, um, called Podcast Marketing Academy. It's all about podcast growth. But I've said, like, this is for people who are minimum a year into their show. They've, like, discovered they, they have all of the kind of mechanics of creating a podcast down pat. And so I actually have a kind of 
survey that I get people to go through before going onto the waitlist for the course where I ask like, and I filter people out and I say, Hey, if you're not at this level yet, like here's some other ways that I can actually help you. And those are all like free newsletters and things like that. And so that could be where a podcast fits in as well, where like, you're going to have a ton of people who aren't really at the stage that they can even make use of your product or service yet. And the podcast can help like not only warm them up to you as a person, but help them like level up themselves and you know, whatever it is that you help them with, get them to the point where now actually the product or service makes sense. Cause probably mm. most people, if you have like a, a well-defined offer, probably most people who enter your funnel like won't be right at that perfect stage. Like I think great offers are usually very targeted to like a person who you're like feeling these acute pain points right now and you want to go from here to here. And, you know, most people at any point in time are, are just not going to be there. But the podcast can help get them there in a really like authentic, genuine, generous way. I love that. So podcast nurture people. And, I, and I'd add that. So if that is what podcasts are are really good at doing on maybe the external side of things, on the internal side of things, I'd offer to the audience that podcasts are really amazing at transforming your life. Like if you mm -hmm. want to make a big change in your life, if you want to grow your network, if you want to grow yourself, if you want to get uncomfortable and grow, podcasts are a great way to do it because it's going to push you right up yeah. to the edge. You're going to develop IP. You're going to have all these amazing conversations with wonderful people like Jeremy here. And you're going to learn a lot. So I think that there's this there's this like duo thing where it nurtures the outside world and brings people to you and it nurtures your inner world as well. Yeah, I, I always like to think uh, think about this for myself, but also talk to other people when I'm like coaching them through starting a podcast or, you know, re helping them reimagine how they're approaching their current show is looking at all these secondary benefits where, you know, most of the people I work with, they are business owners. They are creating the show as a marketing tool for that business. They do want to like get more clients, customers, make more money. But I think that those are often longer term goals. Like if we look at this, like 38 episodes, six plus months in, in getting there, maybe that's like nine months, something like that. Like, how are you staying motivated in the interim when you're like waiting for that to happen, especially when you're starting from from square one and everybody's starting from zero, you got to wait that maybe nine months before you get the first person who has listened to enough content that they're like now at a point where they're ready to, to buy something from you. And so I think that those secondary benefits of looking at like, okay, how can I, you know, regardless of how many people are listening or buying from me, how can I still make this worth my time and approaching it that way? And so that might be reaching out to specific people that you, you know, might not have an excuse to reach out to otherwise, or it could be like, if, if one of your goals is to become a better, you know, storyteller or just content creator, media creator, which are all valuable skills for every part of your business, like treating each episode as an opportunity to practice that and saying like, okay, I'm going to like try something different with my hook for this episode and like start off the intro a bit differently because, you know, I want to push myself in this way and like I can get that benefit whether or not anyone ever listens to this episode. And so I think you can kind of adjust your mindset to it that gives you some of these more tangible benefits where you can see yourself growing, even if you're not getting, you know, thousands of listeners or, you know, customers and, and clients out of the show yet. I love that. It's, it's, you know, burnout is a big topic or work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about needing to do podcasts for over a year, maybe three years to really achieve certain goals or metrics, then it seems like it's so important to really focus on those secondary benefits and understand their value so that we can keep mm -hmm. doing it. And you, you brought up this idea of, of, of like creation. So, and we talked about this on a, on a pre-interview, this idea of like podcaster versus creator. And you have this amazing newsletter, which is actually how I built this sort of uh, trust or desire to interview you was by reading mm -hmm. your work. And that's, you know, if on one hand, you'd think, oh, that's not a podcast, but it is a broadcast. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that for the audience, like what, your thoughts on creator versus podcaster. 
Yeah, I think when I look at, and this depends like what your goals are. Like, I, I think that a lot of people, like if all you want to do is be a professional podcaster, maybe that title is is more apt to what you're wanting to do. But I think if you look at the biggest kind of creators out there, and I would say that this really applies to business owners as well. Um, I think like most people have a lot of different irons in the fire. And so you're looking at a lot of YouTubers have like have millions of people following them on YouTube and are now getting into podcasting. And you look at a lot of like big podcasters are branching out into like they have their own separate newsletters and starting going to YouTube channels that are not just like their podcasts on YouTube. It's like custom YouTube content built for YouTube. And they have like distinct Twitter presences that are are also different. It's not just promoting the podcast. And so I think for me, the benefit here, like this is, it can be overwhelming to think about at the start. And I'm not saying you just like go be everywhere at once uh, by any means. But I think it's about like embracing this mindset of like, okay, I'm not a podcaster. I'm a person who has ideas that I want to share with people and different mediums and different formats are going to be, you know, the the best vehicle for different versions of this idea. And so that's been a huge thing for me personally over the past year is I have always gravitated to the more like long form philosophical side of like writing. And I know that that doesn't grow nearly as well as short actionable like two minute reads and so like my one newsletter i actually now have two newsletters um I, my first newsletter that i started creative wayfinding and i say the first i had many failed newsletters before this the first <laughs> one that i was able to sustain this is like you know it's probably like a five to ten minute read probably typically like more than a thousand words maybe two thousand some posts are like three thousand words long it's like long and in-depth and it's really like thoughtful and nuanced and it's not really shareable in the same way that uh, a listicle might be. And I would argue probably that listicles have kind of seen their their time and are not so shareable as they used to be anyway. But I was kind of aware of like, okay, this is like, I get so much positive feedback from this. I build a lot of like, it, it inspires resonance in people, but it doesn't really have reach. Like it's not hooky in any way. And so, okay, this is just going to be, a, if I want to grow this newsletter, that's just going to be a longer process to do that. And I'm kind of just fine with that because that's what I want to create with that newsletter. With my other newsletter, which is Scrappy Podcasting, this one, I kind of realized like, okay, I want to, I have a, a podcasting course and products and services. That's what I offer. My creative way of finding doesn't really, it's not for podcasters, it's for creators in general. So it kind of didn't fit that piece of the funnel, but I was kind of like, okay, so I need something to then plug in there. I need a different piece of content to do a different job. And so for that one, I started this other newsletter, which is kind of very much more shareable, much more hooky. It's like a two minute idea per, per week on how to punch above your weight as an underdog podcaster. And so that I was like, okay, this, this is hooky or this is more like it fills this kind of part of my funnel on the business side. And it's still like a gated newsletter so it doesn't have that public reach and so then beyond that I was like okay well what am I going to do to get attention on these and then I realized okay well I'm going to start actually focusing on writing Twitter threads in addition to that and so those are like no nuance no artistry from me they're like pure I'm trying to get attention with this and share something valuable to people in a way that's shareable on Twitter and so one of the things that for me was this huge kind of unlock was realizing that like I don't need to just like, I can only do one newsletter and it needs to do all these jobs. It needs to like satisfy me artistically and like be inspiring to me. And it needs to uh, be able to get reach and also kind of build this resonance with people. Like, no, I have different avenues now that do different jobs. And that kind of keeps me satisfied as a creative person and different kind of pieces of that, that content ecosystem play different roles in the larger funnel. And I think when you're thinking about like just having, I'm just a podcaster and I just do this one thing it gets a little bit confusing sometimes because I don't think one medium or one content type or like the format you have for your show or the concept is necessarily 
capable of supporting all those different jobs that you need to do, especially if you have like a business that sells a product or service on the back end. And so I think that's where you need to start thinking about yourself as more of like, okay, I have these ideas I want to explore or share with people or put out into the world. And there's going to be different ways for me to do that, that are going to do different jobs for, for my overall creator business. That's a really great breakdown. And thanks for kind of walking us through some of your thought process. I think those behind the scenes journeys are what a lot of people miss is like the process that it takes to actually uh, achieve success, right? And mm -hmm. this idea that multiple platforms for different purposes is a, is a great strategy, right? And it sounds like you're leveraging, I'm kind of curious, does Twitter seed some of the rest of your content? Do you like check it out on Twitter and then move it to other places? Or where does your, where do, where do your ideas start? Yeah, that's, that's, I think, a, a way a lot of people do it. And I think that that makes sense for a lot of people. I, since I started writing daily, I used to publish daily, I don't publish daily anymore. But I guess I do on Twitter, um, to some extent, but that's just short kind of single tweets, usually. Um, but I, this is what you hear a lot of people to talk about writing daily, you just get overwhelmed with ideas. And so one of my problems was I had all these great ideas that, like, just I have probably since I started keeping track of these two years ago in a database, there's just thousands of them. And so I'll like never be able to write about all of them and I'll never be able to write about all the good ones. And I'm going to keep having more of them. But I had a, a lot of like great ideas that I didn't have a vehicle for where I was like, ah, like I want to talk about this, but like, this is not, this doesn't fit my newsletter and this doesn't fit my other newsletter. And like, where does, where does this go? Like, what do I do with this? And so they was just kind of sitting there. And so for me, one of those, those things about like, opening up these different avenues has kind of been in response to like, oh, I'm starting to notice there's this backlog of stuff that I have ideas around that I don't know where to put. And so let me do start something new on Twitter or, you know, a new newsletter or whatever it is, where like, that's the outlet for this type of idea. And so for me, it hasn't been like, for me, the, the Twitter ideas really come as Twitter ideas. They're like, mm -hmm. okay, I have this idea. What's the vehicle for it? Like, oh, it's short. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but I think it's valuable. And so like, that's going straight to Twitter. Whereas like, there's something else where I'm like, I want to understand this myself and it's nuanced and it's thoughtful. It's about kind of creative work. So like that's going to my creative wayfinding newsletter because that's more my vehicle for like figuring stuff out for myself and like really like having this idea and being like, ah, this feels like there's something there, but I don't know what it is. Like let's write up 2000 words about it and like see what comes out of that. Um, and so that's kind of how my ideas seem to like self kind of route themselves into these different mediums now that I've kind of opened them up. Yeah. So there's a journey there too, with our own content, there's a customer journey, but then there's our own content journey. And so one of the, th the other things you said that kind of, it, it sparked an insight, which is this idea that the market's evolving. And so what used to work, and this ties back to what you started with, what used to work doesn't necessarily work. And so that's why it's so important if you're listening and you have the desire to grow your podcast or to start one, you need to be around people who are keeping a pulse on the on what is happening, who have the insights. It's super important because we can't just follow a blog from 2018 or even 2019. Mm -hmm. We have to actually be at the cutting edge because everything is accelerating so fast. And I think that, um, that that's why it's so valuable. The Podcast Marketing Academy, uh, your program, why, why things like that are really helpful for people because you are saturated in this. You are on all platforms. You know, right now I'm live streaming to LinkedIn Facebook and YouTube, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to what all these different platforms are doing so that I can help clients understand that. So, because as a thought leader or a subject matter expert, they shouldn't really have to do that. They should work with people who find enjoyment and find fulfillment in doing that. And so let's, let's move over to growing podcasts. So assuming mm -hmm. someone is like maybe near the year mark or at the year mark, 
What do most people do that's not working when they're trying to grow a podcast? What are some of the biggest mistakes? Yeah, I usually think about this as in in phases. And so I usually think like in multiples of, of 10 kind of. Um, so like w- the first one being like one to a thousand. And so if you're getting your like first thousand like unique listeners. So, you know, every episode you put out, you're getting that consistently a thousand people. Like that feels to me like the early stage podcast growth where you need to be doing very specific things uh, in that stage versus when you're trying to go from, you know, 10,000 up to or 1,000 up to 10,000 and then 10,000 up to 100,000 or beyond that. Like these are each distinct stages where you're going to be doing different activities on a day-to-day basis to to market your show. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make is when they're in that early stage, they're copying all the things that they see big podcasters doing. They're trying to like be Gary Vee essentially, which like he necessarily needs to do very different things to grow his show any more than, uh, or, or any of his content, um, any more than he's already built up because like he's already so big, like how do you reach another million people? That's not the same as like when you're first starting out and you're trying to get your first hundred listeners. And probably like one of the things is that when you're trying to get your first hundred listeners, like your idea probably hasn't been validated yet. And so like, I really think of podcasts in the same terms as startups. And so if you start spending a lot of time in, in startup world, you just like hear this obsessive kind of nature of like, you know, validating your product and getting product market fit and all these things that like are, are real problems. And they're really magnified because there's often millions or tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on the line from, you know, funders and VCs who have put money into these companies. And so like, there's a lot of pressure to find those things quickly. Whereas in one sense, you know, we as creators, like we have the luxury of not having that pressure. We can take our time figuring those things out, but that doesn't mean that we don't need to figure them out. And so I think especially early on, it's about like going like really talking to people and going one to one. And like if you can embed yourself in a community of people who should be like you, you have this idea of like who your show should be for. Like when you imagine like your the person you really want to listen to the show, like go find a community where there are people like that and start talking to them about it. And just like ask if you can get on a Zoom call, DM them and say like, hey, I'm working on this idea. Don't try and pitch them on the podcast. Just say like hey, I'm, I'm working on this show. I think it would be interesting to like people like you in this community. Can you just like, let me know, would you listen to the show? Here's my one sentence pitch of it. Here's, you know, my teaser episode, if you want to check it out and like, tell them like, don't spare my feelings. Just like, I want this to be the best show for people like this. What would, what would make it that? And like, if you're not getting positive reactions, if people are just like, oh yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. Like, that's a sign that like, no matter what you do, you could pour ad money into it. You can, you know, get in front of hundreds of millions of people. And if it doesn't have that kind of hook to it, where the people you want to listen to it actually find it interesting, like there's, there's nothing you can do to help with that. And so I think like early on, uh, and I would say you could get your first thousand unique listers probably on a one-to-one basis, just through being active in communities, uh, getting on like conversations with people and just in the DMs and not pitching them on it, but just like, this is something I've done through Twitter and have grown my, my email list quite a bit by doing this is just, you know, we're going back and forth on the main Twitter feed over some conversation that we're both interested in. And then at some point, like one of us will DM each other and we'll just start a conversation there and we'll ask like, hey, what are you working on? And we'll say, hey, hey, well, I'm writing this newsletter. And they'll say, oh, I'm working on this podcast. And we'll both be like, that sounds awesome. Like, I got to sign up now. Like, it's not a pitch. It's a like, you're someone who probably would be interested in this. So if you ask, you know, what are you working on? And I say, oh, I'm doing this podcast. It's, you know, for this purpose or whatever for these people. And they match that profile. It's kind of like, oh, of of course they're going to listen. And even if they don't, maybe Maybe the next time they meet someone else who's in their community who would be interested, they're going to share it with them. So I think like it's it's just kind of increasing that surface area of the number of people who are aware of your show, whether or not they're listeners, but starting with something that actually, you know, has been validated that, you know, like the people who you've made it for actually feel like this is one of the best shows, if not the best show out there for them. 
So I'm going to underline a couple things and share one idea because I want you listeners to really understand that Jeremy just gave you thousands of dollars, basically. (laughs) He just gave you thousands of dollars if you understand what he just shared. He just shared that by interviewing potential customer client listeners, you can can build your offer backwards. You can build your podcast backwards. That I've paid thousands of dollars for that kind of information. So if if that flew over your head, it's fine. It's it's like a subtle idea, but that that is the power of interviewing. That is the power of asking questions and that's it's also called the customer development interview. Google it. There's a lot of stuff about it. Really powerful. Thank you for sharing that with the audience. I think that's a huge thing. It's a un, underexplored thing often. People like you said will just kind of launch without doing mm-hmm. that. So that also connects to like, why are we starting the show to begin with? Are we starting it yeah. to serve an audience and grow an audience? Or are we starting it to serve our own curiosity? It's not a right or wrong answer. It's just good to mm-hmm. know. Because if you are starting it to meet people and to explore topics and just talk because you like it, then whether people listen or not, it doesn't matter. Just do what you want. But if you're starting mm-hmm. it to serve an audience, you got you to gotta start. You don't have to start. It's possible to strike gold. But it, it is if you want to get strategic and try and increase your results, then that's the way. And the last thing I wanted to say is I, I love this Twitter relationship strategy you gave. Mm-hmm. And what, what it's making me think of is just like make friends. Like go make friends. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's, that's 100% how I think about it. And I think like that's the piece where people think about doing like customer interviews or things like that or prospective customer interviews, it gets scary because it's like, well, I don't know who these people are. It's like, well, go find the people you want to be your friends. Like, and, and this isn't always the case because sometimes you might be looking, you might be in an industry where for some reason you're in this industry. Maybe you have the skills. Maybe it's, you've got the sunk cost of like, this is where I've done my whole career and I see an opportunity to serve this industry, but like, I'm not crazy about the people. And so you're doing it that way. So like, there are exceptions to this, but if you're starting something new, especially from like a creator perspective, or you're starting a new business, you're, you don't have anything, no baggage. You're just like, I want to start something new. I would say like, start with the people you want to spend time with. Cause like, those are the people where this is where like the flywheel starts to, to start. Cause like, if you actually want to spend time with people, you're going to spend more time with them and you're going to talk with them more. You're going to get into better conversations with more nuance. You're going to have more of a background in the information. You're going to be able to contribute more and like go back and forth with these people and really get into the nuances of like what their problems are and like how you might be able to help. And so that's a lot of times where it's like, yeah, go, go find the people you want to be friends with. And like, there's so many people, like I don't use Twitter just to, you know, grow my newsletter by any means. Like I have made some of my closest friends now through Twitter. Um, like one friend I met last summer on Twitter, um, my partner and I, we went, then went down to Mexico city and hung out with her for two months. And now we're going to meet up with her in Lisbon for a month next month. And so it's like these, like these things kind of like when you start making friends online, uh, whether that's through Twitter or LinkedIn or, or Instagram or wherever, like, yeah, you might grow your platforms, but you get might get all of this other actually more valuable, like life enriching stuff out of it too. And if they're also like in the creative or business or marketing world, probably you're going to find ways to support each other in ways that you couldn't even like strategize. And so mm-hmm. for me, that's been been my kind of like strategy, if you can call it that is like make friends with cool, cool people like doing cool shit and good stuff's going to happen sooner or later. <laughs> wisdom wisdom i love it i love it that is so you know i I homeschooled actually for throughout my entire elementary middle high school different Uh phases and i made so many friends online back in the in when skype was first coming out and my parents didn't believe that they weren't going to get some secret phone bill for it (laughs) you know and and it's like the internet can be a really sketchy place but it can be this amazing source of new connections. So I love that you've brought that out. And I think that is why podcasts kind of tying back to that Joe Rogan 
quote at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's like podcasts are a great way to develop ideas. Podcasts are a great way to meet amazing people. And so really starting with the good why, as Simon Sinek says, like, why are you doing this Um, is going to support people in that. So I want to ask you, yeah, like honestly, you've already given some really great growth advice, but for the listeners, like let, even if it's underlining something or what is one thing that someone with a podcast where they're not happy with their audience growth, they're not happy with the, the listeners, the downloads, what can they do today to grow the show? I mean, I think that's a really interesting question, like in and of itself, because I think most people, when they think about how do I market my show, it's like, I don't even know, like, how, how do I do that? How do I get more people? But I would also assume and hope that like, if we just asked everyone listening, like, if you had to get one more person today, like, could you do that? And I, I think like, I could, I know I could get one more newsletter subscriber today, I could 100% within 15 minutes after getting off this call, I think I could reach out to someone who's in my network. And I could say like, hey, I write this newsletter, I don't know if you've heard about it. But like, I feel like you would really take a lot away from this. And probably maybe I have to do that a few times. But I know there are plenty of people who I could probably get to subscribe. And so I think like, I would say the first thing is like, actually understanding that, okay, actually, there are things that I can do. And maybe they're kind of scary to me. But it's not that I don't know how to grow my audience or get more listeners. And I would say that like, I've heard um, Nathan Berry, the founder of ConvertKit talk about every newsletter that he's ever started. That's exactly what he did. He talked to people in his network and he said, hey, I'm writing this new thing. Is it okay if I add you to the list? I think it's like right up your alley. And so I think by doing that, like especially if you have a small show, you could probably get 50 to 100 people to 200 people even depending on the size of your network and like how uh, familiar you are with your your industry that you're um, creating the show in or the niche. And so like that could probably double a lot of shows listeners right there just by doing that. And really though, the, the thing that's that's holding us back from doing that is fear, like of how we're going to come across. But I think for me, the the thing that's kind of eroded that fear always is like actually making a pitch to people who I actually truly believe that they would actually enjoy the newsletter. Anytime I feel like weird about making a pitch, it's because I know like probably there's a better chance than not that they actually don't want to read it and they're not a good fit. Whereas anytime somebody that I actually know, like I'm very excited to share it with them. And I'm like, you know, this sounds like exactly the type of thing that you'd, you'd be interested in. So uh, that's where I would start. If you're looking to go for more scale, then I would say just start looking for people who have already built the audience that you want to have or one that looks, you know, has a decent amount of overlap and just like jump on a Zoom call with them. Like for me, this has been, I've done a, I leaned a ton into collaborations over the past year and it's always started kind of with that Twitter strategy of just like <laughs> that, that unstrategy almost just like <laughs> talking with people, connecting with people, getting on a Zoom call without any expectation. And by the end of it, like we're both just like, okay, what can we do together? Like, I've got to like shout you out in my newsletter. I got to like share your podcast in mine, whatever. And like that stuff kind of just happens organically, but it's about like identifying, um, looking at those people who built an audience that, you know, is, is similar to yours or the one that you want to build and finding out how you can kind of, you know, make friends with them and, uh, and good stuff's going to happen from there. Uh, each thing you share is, is full of great nuggets. Um, I, a mentor of mine, Raven, the talk show Maven, mm-hmm. uh, like the first time I got on a call with her, she said this thing that stuck in my mind, which is, isn't podcasting great? There's so much room for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I really like that mindset and I'm getting that from you too. It's like, there can be collaboration. There doesn't have to be competition. And even us, like we have a, we have some sort of overlap in what we Mm -hmm. do. You know, I support people in launching podcasts, especially. And you've, you've really focused in on 
on growing shows, but you, you know, you could do, you could do both things, but there's yep. so much room for us to talk and share and, and spread good information. And I think that's just like a huge thing. And the other thing that you talked about is, and you brought it up a couple of times is the newsletter thing. And I'm kind of curious and I'd be curious too, for the audience sake, like how does writing, how does deepening our writing practice support our podcast efforts? And yeah, just kind of tuning in a little bit to that whole newsletter journey, because there's something intriguing about this idea of a home for mm-hmm. our write, our written content, like once a month, maybe, maybe it's more regular than that, but like a, a, a house for that stuff. So like, yeah, talk a little bit about writing. Yeah, I mean, I... It's funny, my mom will like, and actually when I was home uh, last summer, I think we like dug out the old box of like school projects from elementary school. <laughs> and she I, she, I always remember her saying, like, she's always said, like, I always thought you'd be a writer. And this was when I was getting into music and audio stuff and was not into writing yet. And uh, writing's now kind of like played a big role in my life in the last two, two and a half years, but it, it wasn't before that. And I had never really understood, you know, what, what gave her that impression necessarily. But then we like went through this box of old stuff and I was like writing all these like, you know, grade one, six-year-old, like, novels or stories that I was like, where did I come up with this? These ideas are, like, ridiculous in their, like, mimicry of, like, adult books almost. Like, I had, like, an about the author section and then, like, about the illustrator on the side because I had, like, drawn all the pictures and they were just, like, (laughs) so stupid. And then this whole long, like, book that I put together. And so, like, apparently I've been, like, I've always been a reader and apparently I've been into writing for a long time. But for you know, 10, 15 years there, I didn't really think of myself as a writer in any way. Um, And then I kind of, you know, in 2019, I started getting really into Seth Godin's work, um, his podcast, blog, books, all that kind of stuff. And he's, you know, one of these famous uh, writing advocates, especially for writing and publishing every single day. And I think he's published something like 7,000 days straight or something like that, like one of the longest running blogs, daily blogs on the internet. And So I was like, you know, getting really obsessed with his work and was kind of coming up to the the new year 2020. And I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to January 1st start. I'm going to publish something every day. And so I did that. And it was really hard for the first three weeks to a month. I didn't feel like I had that many good ideas. I like went through all the good ideas I had in the first uh, week or less. And then, you know, there was several days where I was the, the that that day's essay was like, I don't know what to write about, kind of. And it's funny that even when you start with that, you somehow almost every time I came up with something that was kind of interesting and nuanced. And really, like after keeping with that for for several months, I realized the same thing that so many people who write every day uh, or or write regularly talk about, which is how writing is just this great, like clarifier of your thinking. And so a lot of times, like we think we know what we think, but until you've actually articulated it well through writing and where it's like concrete, it almost like removes your brains, like the burden on your brain of remembering it. And it's like, oh, I, I know that it's kind of like you can like double click and expand on it, but you know, it's there where it is. And for me, there was just like so many benefits that came out of it, even though not a lot of people were writing or were re- reading my writing. Like I was publishing on Medium and getting, you know, three views a day or five views a day. Occasionally I'd get one that got 30 views, something like that. Maybe the occasional one got over a hundred. So like the vast majority, it was like, nobody was really seeing it, but this goes back to that idea of like, how can you make it beneficial to you in just doing it? In that I started writing more about podcasting and essentially Podcast Marketing Academy came out. I like pre-wrote big chunks of it in blog form. And so that when it time came time to create the course, it was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what all the lessons are. I know how to talk about these. I'm I became like way more articulate in all of my conversations because pretty much 
almost anything I talk about in any podcast interview in any like, you know, video or panel or whatever, like I've written about that at some point. And so like, I know what I think about it and I know how to structure it. I know how to work stories into it. And so when you start thinking about that, you're like, oh, I really see how that would be valuable for a podcast mm -hmm. and both for like guesting, but also creating, you know, your own shows. And I think just writing very, you can't like when you're talking through something, you can't go ahead and then reorganize it live or you know you can do that through editing after the fact but writing helps you really think in that way of like chunks where this like okay i want to teach this lesson and i want to have this story in here that kind of ties into it like what's the order of everything how do i create an arc throughout this piece and i think that writing makes that very visual and i think there's a reason that you look at like narrative podcasts and like many big shows like are, are pretty heavily scripted if even like a lot of interview shows like I, I know a lot of interviewers who will write out significant portions of either their like intros or uh, if they do kind of interstitial breaks or anything like that their outros yeah and i think it really like even doing that before the the episode ever before you have the interview helps you understand like, well, here's the, the arc I want to go on. Here's where I want to take them. Here's the reason why these questions fit in in this order. And I can kind of like set that up in my mind. And I think that that's like a skill that's inherent to writing, but is really useful across all, all media. And so for me, that's, there's just been so many, like, like the benefits just keep coming of, of writing. And, uh, I think it, it's also interesting, like much of the internet right now is very like writing based still when it comes to right. search. And so there's benefits there. I don't really write for SEO, but, uh, I think there's still a lot of value there. Um, and I, I think that, yeah, even internally the, the benefits, I mainly write for myself and it happens that, you know, there's all these other kind of side benefits of audience growth and, and business stuff. Like <laughs> you're learning to write like sales copy that when I went, finally went ahead to wrote, write the podcast marketing Academy sales page after a year of writing, I was like, oh, I was, was so scared of, of sales page writing and now it's like I've written about all this stuff like a hundred times or more and like this is really easy now it's just kind of structuring and hooking it and laying it out mm -hmm. a bit differently yeah uh yeah so writing is externalized thinking it 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 you said mm -hmm. it it like forces us to focus and define and articulate our ideas and I think that's it's so powerful to do that and in fact it's almost like a, a word of warning to people like if you don't want your life to change yeah, <laughs> like, like be careful every like big shifts in my life, like career pivots and relational decisions and all this stuff usually mm -hmm. come out of like bents of writing where I do morning yep. pages or I have mm -hmm. a practice because by doing that, it's like I get to know myself in ways that I wasn't aware of. And so it's like, yeah, be careful, because if you start writing, your life will change. But honestly, it's the right thing to do. It's, it's the right thing to do is to write. And I also love that you said that it led to your program. And I want to underline this for people because much like podcasting by engaging in this writing practice or even by engaging in a podcasting practice, we build IP, we build intellectual property, we build valuable offerings. And I just think that's so cool that your writing led you to develop a program. So it's like what you can do with a pen and paper is make a lot of money. It's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's super interesting that you could, it's like a magic wand, you know, you just go and then stuff happens. And so thank you so much for sharing that. I definitely recommend to everyone, if you're not currently writing, to lean into that a little bit. Um, and and so, you know, okay, I, I'm, I'm looking at some of the questions that I had thought about asking you, you know, before, before we hopped on. And one of the things that uh, stuck out to me about our conversation was this idea of like leaning into what we love to do in our unique expression versus the polar opposite of just like work for this like very external financial goal with no passion in it. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that this is such a personal question. I think like 
a lot of like what I, this is essentially, I, I'm two years into my creative wayfinding newsletter and still don't know how to talk about it, but I think it's really getting at this idea of like, how do we tap into like our personal, like best path to whatever our creative potential is, which is going to be entirely different from anyone else. And so we can like study a lot of people and we can look at how they were successful and we can try to emulate that. But if that doesn't line up with what's actually going to work for us, like we're fighting an uphill battle. And so I think that this is really about knowing like, what type of person are you? Are you a person who can be entirely dispassionate and not need to care about what you're creating at all? And just go in with a hundred percent strategy and execute on that. And, you know, sometimes I'm very envious of those types of people because it feels mm -hmm. like you can do away with a lot of the like baggage that comes with being a creative person who really cares about what the work says about you, um, which is much more. I, I feel like I'm somewhere in between, but like I would definitely say like to be to enjoy what I'm doing, like I need to care about it. And mm -hmm. one of the interesting things in my kind of career path has been I've consistently found different things to care about. So early on, like I got into we haven't really talked about this, but I um, have traveled full time essentially from I started went full time on my podcast production company and two weeks later was on a flight to overseas to, to go travel. And that was kind of like why I got into a remote style online business in the first place. And so like initially what I was excited about was not podcast editing. It was like being able to travel full time. And then after the first year, I kind of like had a scare with the business where I lost a couple of clients and was like, oh, I actually need to like work on the business <laughs> if this is going to stick around. And so then I started getting interested in like I also started building a team at that time and started actually getting interested in management where I was like, actually, I really like building team culture is a really interesting thing to me. And I think a lot of like creative people don't think of that as being interesting. But I was I got kind of obsessed with it and like listened to a lot of podcasts about it and read books and like enjoyed the process of it. And then eventually that kind of got a little actually, I don't know that that necessarily got boring, but I got more interested in the marketing side of things where I'd always hated marketing. I thought it was kind of a slimy kind of thing like a lot of creative people do. And then kind of realize like, oh, there's there's other ways to market. Like my idea of what marketing is, is not the same as, you know, what this this narrow view that I had of it before. And so then I became kind of obsessed with that. And that's kind of like where I am right now. And so I think like there are different things that you can like funnel that uh, obsession almost or that interest in into in your business. But it's like following those. And I think I, I don't know necessarily that like I wouldn't have strategized any of those things. Like, I don't think if I had said when I got interested in building team culture, if I had said like, what's the most effective thing that I can do right now to like grow the business, it would not have been like focus on team culture. I think that's like an important thing, like, especially for long-term growth and, and sustaining mm -hmm. a team. Mm -hmm. But there were, I probably could have got better at sales would have been like a better strategic option for that. But I think there's something for me about like, when I think about, I, I just can't like get over this idea of like your, our life's work. And for mm -hmm. me, that's like, I don't want to be putting that off. I feel like what I'm doing is part of my life's work. And so when I think about that, it's not something where there's like an end to. And so I'm not like trying to sell a business or, or even if I am, it's like, that's part of my life's work. And so I think when you're thinking about it in that context, it becomes way less about the destination because there is no end. It's like, what do I want my like legacy to be? And that's not something that I like built this business and sold it. It's like at the end of my life, all the things that I've worked on, like as a creative and a business owner and whatever, like what are, what are all those things going to say about me? It's like my, uh, you know, discography or like what the, the books that I've written, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I think I use this example in one of my newsletters about the Beatles of like, if they never wrote, Hey Jude, like, would they still be as big as they are? And you think like, this is one of the like the biggest songs ever in like the history of the world. And 
if they didn't write that, I think they would still, they'd still be the Beatles. Like there'd be no difference. And it's because of that legacy. Like they've put together this body of work that transcends any one part of it. And so I think for me, that's where it's like following your curiosity. It's about, you're not trying to get like the most efficient route to the end. It's about like building out that body of work by following what you're curious about. Cause that's going to continue feed, feeding the cycle and keeping you motivated to move on to the next thing. And kind of like, just, yeah, for, for me, it's been a very fluid process of not like putting too much pressure expectation on each thing and kind of saying like, okay, like I've got three things that I probably could focus on. This is the one I'm really interested in right now. So probably that's the one I'm going to get the best results with because it's like pulling me rather than me needing to push it. And, you know, maybe it's not the most efficient, but it's going to be the most fun in the process. And so I think like I've kind of just like let go and been like, okay, well, I'm, I think I'm like smart enough to know like the things that I shouldn't be focusing on entirely and avoid those. But if I have a, a selection of a few things that, um, are, I, I actually do think would move the business forward. And one of those is clearly just fun for me. That's the one I'm going to follow. The, it reminds me of the Ikigai concept, the purpose yeah. for being right where, what mm -hmm. does the, what, what's the world need? What can we get paid for? What are we good at and what are we passionate about? And like the yeah. center point of that Venn diagram is the, is the Ikigai or the like life's work. Right. And it sounds like, Hey, you found it. So congrats, big ups, man. Me too. I feel like that too. And it's like a yeah. beautiful experience. And it's also becoming, like you said, it's not a static point. It's dynamic, yeah. but it's that exploration coupled with arriving every day. Right. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's always another mountain crest peak to get to. And at the same time, enjoy the one we're at, right? And, yeah. and finding that balance. And I love that it afforded you the ability to travel. Um, mm -hmm. I am curious on the team management front, what, which, which podcast jumps out in your mind when you, when you said that? Because I would love to like, tune into that more too. Yeah, so it was actually a client show, uh, and they I think they've rebranded since. I can't remember what the new uh, show is called, but the company is called 15.5. So one, the, the number is 1.5 and then the word 5. And they're essentially a, a company that does like... At the end of every week, um, employees fill out this like five minute little survey about like their team and their manager and all this stuff. And it's trying to like, you know, get to the root of like what where are people at and like how can you better serve them as a management kind of team or as a company as a whole. And uh, so we actually used it for a while um, with our company and I love their podcast. Um, I can't we don't work on it anymore, but I think they're still going. And that one was there was just so much wisdom and so much like humanness on, on the mm. business side. And like, they're basically looking at B2B companies, um, where, where there are their customers. And, um, but it was still really valuable. It shaped a lot of how I thought about just all kinds of relationships actually, which was, was really interesting. So, um, that was one. And then on the book side, uh, the culture code was one that stood out to me as being uh, really good in my memory when it came to, to building team culture. Thank you for those. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll track those down. I'll get those in the show notes, especially on the audio version of this podcast. So if you're watching it, uh, you can also listen to Amplify What You Love on all platforms. So Jeremy, I want to I wanna tell the audience about the Podcast Marketing Academy because you've put together a really excellent program and container for shows that it sounds like are over about it at the year mark and over and they want to take the show to the next level. Could you tell the audience about that and you know how they could get more info on that? 
Yeah, so uh, Podcast Marketing Academy kind of started out as one course and is now branching out into its own brand. So there's going to be a lot more kind of coming and being added to it over the next, uh, hopefully, several years. Um, but right now there's a community at the heart of it. And then there's a uh, self-paced curriculum that uh, is kind of the, the next layer beyond that. And so you can kind of go through that at your own pace. And then uh, the other addition, additional layer on that is cohort-based courses, which uh, I've run them in four to six weeks, typically, depending on what the topic is. And uh, this next one that's coming up is going to be specifically for people who haven't yet hit that thousand unique subscribers yet per episode. And so it's going to be hundred percent focused on if you're below that threshold, like what are the things that you should be doing uh, and how can we in, you know, a six week period, put together these practices in place to help you get there faster. Um, so that's kind of the, the core of the program. You can kind of opt into any one of those layers. Um, of Podcast Marketing Academy. And then uh, in the lead up to that, if you're watching this live, we actually tomorrow, we have a uh, the, the first of a series of roundtable discussions that are, are free and open um, that are going to be coming up every Thursday in September. And then at the end of September, I'm going to be running a free three-day workshop that's going to be focused entirely on like the small daily habits and actions, some of which we talked about a bit today on the podcast that are going to compound into you know large growth over time. And I think that that's one of the, the things that uh, a lot of people, when they are you know, thinking about marketing, it just feels insurmountable. And one of my beliefs and one of the things that's worked for me is like, how do we take these small, like 10 to 15 minute actions a day that we can do that every day. And actually that's the stuff that's going to lead us to growth without overwhelming us. So uh, that's going to be called the minimalist marketing method. And uh, you can sign up at the link that's uh, at the, the bottom of the screen. If you're watching live, uh, it's counterweightcreative.co slash amplify. I'll have a link there um, if you're listening to the audio version. And uh, that hasn't been released yet, but it'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Man, it's so great interviewing podcasters because you're so great at uh, speaking and plugging the things and helping me uh, co-host. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, so definitely check this out. It's a, it's a, it's you. You said it's a roundtable. Also means workshop. You're going to learn a lot of great stuff. You've seen how many nuggets Jeremy's thrown out in this conversation. You're definitely going to want to check it out. And you can also follow Jeremy. I'll put the I'll put his tags in the show notes. The easiest way. Um, as we get towards the end of this journey today, Jeremy, I am so curious about. And and you alluded to this a little bit, but beyond the team management one, what's a book that has deeply impacted you in your life in general? Yeah. So I was at dinner a few weeks ago talking about this question came up at the end of dinner, and I like couldn't really think of one. And partly that's because I've like really stopped reading business books in the last two years and have been really reading a lot of like natural sciences stuff. So I'll, I'll give you one more tactical one because like an idea came to my mind later that I was like, oh, actually, that's been a really formative book. But the one that I, I did share was a book called Underland by Robert McFarlane. And essentially, this is a book about essentially the world beneath our feet. And so caves, he goes on this adventure through the underground city of Paris, uh, these like nuclear storage facilities, um, black matter detection labs, like it is just like probably the most beautifully written book I've ever read. Like the writing is phenomenal. I'm a, a sucker for like adventure and travel books. And so it it's kind of scratched that itch. But there was also, it's, it's really like a book about time and like how humans interact in time and so much of like the stuff beneath the world surface like caves and like how how the you know the earth's crust shifts and forms all these things like that we're talking about like massive time scales here that are, are well beyond our comprehension so it was this really interesting just like mind-opening book in in that regard as well and it's it's funny as i've like leaned away from business books i find like 
these other types of nonfiction or even fiction. Like I get all my marketing ideas from those, which is interesting. And they're very then like unique and out of left field because they're, they're not kind of informed by a book that everybody else is reading. So that's the one that I am just really love that book and read it uh, last year. The other one that recently I've been thinking about is a book called This Is Your Brain on Music. Mm. And it's written by a guy, uh, I can't remember his name. I read this probably 10 years ago. And recently, I, I, I just last week, I, I realized how much I kind of like reference it in my, my brain, like not in my writing, but like I think about things that I learned in that book. And the author was a like very successful record producer and then went back to school and got his PhD in neuroscience. And so this book is all about like how music affects your brain and it's, it's essentially like a pop science book, but a lot of it's really useful for creators and thinking about like why certain things in music make your brain happy and why you like those things. And a lot of those patterns exist across all types of creativity. Like I think about that when it comes to podcasting and writing and photography and visual stuff. And you realize like we're all really kind of using the same tools to manipulate brains in in a way through different mediums of creativity and you know some things are going to be unique to music some things are going to be unique to you know cinema or film or whatever it is or graphic design or writing but like a lot of the things about you know our, our brains still work the same way and we can kind of use some of those principles to you know get a, elicit a positive reaction or like to tell a story in a certain way that our brains remember it and like it and those types of things so that's another one that i find myself like thinking about 10 years later that uh i i forgot was was such a formative book for me Man, I gotta say those some of the most interesting uh, book recommendations I've gotten on the show so far. <laughs> Underland, especially, just sounds like absolutely fascinating. I'm definitely gonna check it out. And I am a, I'm a music producer, music lover. Totally believe that the universe is sound. Mm-hmm. So the I want to check that that book out yep. a lot. I really appreciate that divergence too from it's they're not just business books or something. I think that's uh, and also sourcing creative ideas outside of what we would think is a business book or a marketing book or something. I think that's brilliant. And so in, in conclusion, if I could give you a microphone or, you know, or a massive megaphone that was broadcasting a message to the entire planet above world and underworld, what would you like to share? Yeah, I I think uh, for me, it's this idea. I think this is like what I write about in my, my creative wayfinding newsletter is like, really, we each need to find our own path and that we spend so much time especially in the business and creative world, like looking at what other people are doing and trying to copy that. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that, but I think we always just need to have that that recognition that, okay, I can borrow from this, but I'm going to need to like smash it into like my unique mold in order to make it fit me. And that almost nothing off the shelf ever really works. And I think that for me, that's been the, the biggest thing is like, we kind of talked before about this idea of like competition and collaboration. And I think the goal for all of us is to create something that like really is almost like a reflection of ourselves where like there can't be any competition. Like nobody else could possibly create that thing because it's so much a part of who we are. And I think that that's the the area where, especially if we're doing any kind of creative work, like that's going to set us apart. And that's going to be the thing that ultimately, you know, people are going to choose us and, and pay more for us than anyone else. But it takes definitely takes some some bravery, but also some some exploration and some like self-reflection and, and insight into, you know, what makes us unique and what are those unique curiosities that, that we want to explore that might not necessarily make sense when it comes to to what we're doing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to do my best to boost that as far as possible. I think that's a brilliant, beautiful, inspiring message to share with the world. And again, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing your time with my audience, with me. I learned a lot. I know my audience is going to get benefit and I will drop all of Jeremy's links in show notes across the board uh, for the free workshop, for some of these books he's talking about and the best place to connect with them. And until next time, I hope to have you on again, man. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kaylee. All right, talk soon. Thank you.